Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and it is awesome to be here with you. I'm so glad you are joining us. Thank you so much for being a part of what God is doing in and through us, for being a part of celebrating who God is so that we can be more like Jesus. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, I just wanted to say you're welcome here. We are excited that you have chosen to spend some of your day in worship and celebration of God so that together, we might grow in relationships so that together we might go into the world and make a difference. Uh, you're going to find in us that we recognize, hey, we're not perfect, but we know the one who is, and that's Jesus. And we want to invite you on a relationship journey with us so that together we can do just that, grow into that relationship so that we can go into the world and make a difference on behalf of of Jesus Christ. We've been on a brand new sermon series that started last week, this worship series called Plunge, which we are tying together our vacation Bible school, which happens at the end of the month. We're tying together our themes so that together as kiddos or as adults, we can grow in understanding of who God is. And so at the end of the month, we're going to have a whole lot of kiddos here uh, taking a deep dive into their faith. And we wanted to do the same for us. We wanted to grow in our faith so that together we might take a step toward Jesus. And we started as adults recognizing last week, first, we are deeply flawed. We are broken and we need somebody to come and rescue us. We need someone who will, who will get us out of trouble, someone who will, who will give us grace so that we might find hope, and that someone is Jesus. And, and so we talked through that, and this week, this week we're going to take another deep dive, uh, a deep dive into the fact that we are deeply forgiven. Uh, I, when I was a kid, you guys seemed to love stories about when I did stupid things as a young person. And so I'm going to share another one of those with you. Uh, when I was a kid, like 16 years old, I had a, a truck and uh, I had gotten my first speeding ticket. And I went to my parents and I said, hey, parents, uh, I've received a speeding ticket. I was exceeding the speed limit and it was, it was uh, a good call. Like I was, I was guilty. I was doing all the things that were bad. In Texas at that point in time, I don't know if it's the same now, uh, but in Texas at that point in time where I grew up, they offered a defensive driving course. And if you took defensive driving, it would forgive one ticket. You didn't have to go to court you didn't have to pay any of the fees. You just had to present paperwork saying, hey, you've been through defensive driving. It was good for a one-time get-out-of-ticket-free card. Uh, and so I presented the idea, hey, I'm going to take defensive driving. I knew how I was going to get out of being, uh, being busted for this, this ticket. And my parents were like, okay, good. You've, you've hopefully learned your lesson. I did not learn my lesson, but uh, hopefully it was what they had in mind that I would have learned my lesson and not speed anymore. So I, I went to defensive driving and I had plenty of time once I finished defensive driving, I passed with, with flying colors, uh, got the paperwork, took it home, and I had plenty of time to put the stamp on it and mail it to Austin, Texas. I had to go to Austin, the state capital, uh, so that it would be forgiven. And uh, I, I, I had the paperwork, I had the envelope, I even had the stamp. What I didn't have was the decision to actually put all of those things together and send it through the postal service to Austin. And, and, and my dad kept reminding me, hey, you need to get that in the mail. He didn't do it for me. He knew exactly where it was and all the stuff was together. He just wouldn't do it 
for me. Uh, rightly so. It, it's my responsibility. I should have taken responsibility. But what I did was, like most people at the age of 16, I became lazy. I was good. I'd finished all the things that I needed to. It was just a simple act of putting that stamp on. I'll, I'll get it tomorrow. And procrastination got the better of me. In the process of this, I, I got in trouble for something else, probably my grades, and lost access to my truck. And the day before I was supposed to have the items in Austin, I realized that I have messed myself up. I never mailed the paperwork to demonstrate that I was not in trouble, you know, that, that I, I had taken defensive driving. And so I never mailed that paperwork. And, and now I'm, I'm at a loss because what's going to happen is now I'm going to have to pay the ticket. I don't have money to pay the ticket. I'm going to have to take, uh, take all the, the time that I took is wasted because I'm going to have to not be able to present that. So I came up with a plan. Even though I didn't have access to my truck, I knew what I was going to do. I, uh, the next morning came on and I said, bye, dad, I'm going to the bus. And I opened the door and shut the door and went and I hid in the front closet, in the front room closet, because dad would never go in there. And so I, I waited for him to leave and I gave it a good 10 minutes after. And then I went out and I got in the truck and I drove to Austin. I drove to Austin because I knew that if I didn't get there and hand this to them, that my ticket wouldn't be forgiven, that I would have to do all of those things. And so I drove out there, and it was like a three-hour drive, drove out there, and I drove back. So six hours of my day were, were taken over by this, this plot I had come up with. And, and the plot was so thick that I had written myself an excuse note the day before because it was in school that I realized that I was... Uh, I was done for. So I wrote an excuse note uh, and I signed it with my dad's signature to get out of going to school. Uh, so my dad, what I didn't know is that my dad came home for lunch that day. <laughs> he came home for lunch that day and when he was pulling in the driveway, noticed that the truck is gone and knows somebody has stolen the truck. And so he goes to the phone and he's starting to call because that's before cell phones calls the police to tell them that someone has stolen the truck. And it is in that moment that he figures out what I have done. My dad was a pretty ingenious guy because he figured it all out in the moment it took to call the police. He was like, wait a minute. Today is the day that Steve's ticket is due in Austin. I bet Steve skipped out of school to go to Austin to hand that in because he hadn't mailed it. And so, sure enough, he called my vice principal. Now, it, it, it bears noting that he had a direct line to my vice principal and back and forth. That should tell you a little bit about uh, teenage Steve. So he calls Mr. Pfeffer. And Mr. Pfeffer, if you're watching this, I'm sorry for being such a tool <laughs> the whole time I was in high school. Anyway, calls Mr. Pfeffer, and Mr. Pfeffer says, no, he's not here. And as a matter of fact, I have a note here excusing his absence and saying that you are the one that excused his absence. And my dad was like, oh, that's interesting because this is the first time hearing of this note. So all of this goes down and my dad then goes back to work confident that I have gone on to Austin to get this taken care of. Uh, I get home 
And dad comes home after just like a regular day. Uh, the truck is back. Everything is safe and secure. In my head, I don't know that I have been busted. And, and dad comes in, and that evening we're having dinner. And my dad says, hey, how was school? Tell me how school was today. Little did I know this was the, you know, the spider's web. Uh, I was so in trouble, it wasn't even funny. And I, I responded, well, you know, about the same as usual. Didn't even make up a story, didn't, didn't try to elaborate. I didn't want to get in trouble about lying about it. And so I just said, you know, same as usual. And, and Dad said, well, if you're not so sure about school, tell me how Austin was. <laughs> like, he, he waited for the, the ultimate moment to, to pull the rug out from under me. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Uh, I knew that I was busted. I knew that my plot and ploy had fallen apart. And my dad uh, ran through all of the things that happened that day and how he knew. Uh, and so he knew that I had lied to him. He knew that I had taken the truck without permission. He knew that I had forged his signature so that I could get out of class. He knew all of that. He knew all of that. And he, he told me, I understand why you did it. And this one time, I will forgive you. He said, I will forgive you, but I will never forget. That, 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 that has kind of given me insight for the rest of my life. I will forgive you, but I will never forgive. Because that's how we do life. Uh, we're all a bit like that. We say things like, oh, forgive and forget, but we don't. We hold on to those things. We, we focus on those things, whether it's something you did against a family or friend or something someone has done against you where you recognize that they want your forgiveness and you say you forgive, but you're watching for that same behavior in the future. You forgive but you don't forget. We forgive, but we don't forget. And that makes, makes relationships difficult, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, you, you do something against your mom or against your wife, and it's, it's not awful, but it's not great. And six years down the road, they're like, you remember that one time, <laughs> right? And you know. Or against your dad or your, your husband, and you remember that one time you did this. We, we have memories like elephants on the things that people do against us. We hold on to those. We forgive. You know, we'll move on. We'll get past it. But I will never forget. And what's hard is sometimes that's how we see our relationship, not just with one another, but with God. That surely He won't forgive that. Or surely I can't get past that. And so we're going to take a look at a guy named David today. He was king of Israel, and the Bible says that he had a, a heart after God's own heart, that he was in line with God. But the problem was David was also deeply flawed. David was also broken and busted because he's human. And so David does the same exact thing, uh, not, not, not getting out of a ticket, but falls in sin 
and has to turn to God. You see, David, uh, as king of Israel, had been raised up by God. He was a, a, a shepherd boy, and God said, that's my man. I'm going to turn him into the king of Israel. And, 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 and David does. He, he becomes king of all of Israel and is one of the most profound rulers in the, in the story of Israel. Uh, he's David, David is God's special king, the one that he appointed and is anointed by him and, and is called. And, and so you'd think that David would have it all together, but what happened was his men were out at war like they did in, in that time of year, and David was at home in the castle. And he looks out and he sees a woman bathing on the rooftop, and he, he calls for his staff to go and get her and bring her to the castle because he is enamored. And he, uh, he is with her even though he is the wife of Uriah, one of his friends. And what happens is she becomes pregnant from this. So now he knows he's got to do something or he's going to be busted. He doesn't want to reveal his guilt. And so what he does is he calls Uriah home from the front. He's like, if Uriah comes home and is with her, then we can say, oh, you know, it was only a, a, you know, a couple of weeks early. Baby, you know, hey, congratulations, Uriah. You guys have a child. So they bring Uriah home, but Uriah acts righteously and says, as long as my men in the field are, are at war, I will not have the comfort of my bed. And so he stay, stayed outside and wasn't with his wife. And so David now is like, oh, how am I going to get past this? I'm going to get caught. I don't want to get caught. What do I need to do to get past it? And so he writes a letter that Uriah takes back that says, hey, when the fighting is bad, that, that is for a sealed and for his other generals, when the fighting is bad, I want you all to back up and let Uriah stay up front so that Uriah will die. You got to imagine Uriah is carrying the letter that even spells out his own doom. Why? Because he was a righteous man and because David was deeply flawed. And so they do, they back off and, and David, uh, David's orders are carried out and Uriah dies. And David thinks to himself, hey, I'm, I'm scot-free. Now I'm going to bring Uriah's wife here. I'm going to marry her. She's going to be my wife, and when she has a kid, nobody's going to ask any questions. But the problem was that God saw, and God sent the prophet to David and revealed that God knew what David had done. And so David sinned against God, murdering his friend, taking his wife, and, and it's just an awful scene. And David knows that he's busted knows that he has done wrong, and it's all revealed, and so he doesn't have to hold anything back anymore, and he writes a psalm, a song of, of brokenness, of sadness, of hurt, um, where he reveals to God what he believes uh, about God's forgiveness and grace. It starts off this way, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
You see, David knows he did it. He's guilty. He's busted. God, I need your help. If you do something, Lord, then I'll be okay. But, but if I have to do it on my own, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be successful. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. You're right in your verdict and justify when you judge. David knows that he is deeply flawed and, and God's wrath against him is justified. That God deserves the ability to do what he's doing because David has done wrong. And, and, and David's like, I, I, I don't have any recourse. Nothing I can do is going to be good enough. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He knows that his sin runs deep, yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. His sin runs deep, but David recognizes that God has called him from an early age. From Even from in the womb, he was, he was with him. And so he's calling out to God saying, I need you, Lord, because I can't do it on my own. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Only God can make him clean. He's seeking forgiveness for what he has done. He goes to God in this psalm and he pours his heart out. I've done wrong. I need you, O Lord. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David understands the cost of his sin, that God would withdraw his Holy Spirit from him, that God would turn away from him and leave him without any opportunity, without any hope. And David does then what we all do. Once we plead and ask for God to intervene, once we ask for God to make a difference in our lives, then he starts to bargain. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back. If you do this for me, God, I will do this for you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God. He knows he is guilty, not just of a small sin, but the sin of murder. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praises. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, 
is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. I'll do whatever you want. Lord, my heart is yours. I, I, I know I would bring sacrifices to the, to the temple if, if you would accept them, but I know that what I have done, David's saying, is, is beyond that. And the only way the only way that you will receive me again is to know that my heart is yours. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. May it please you, Lord, to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. In burnt offerings whole or offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. If you forgive, our relationship can be restored. If you forgive, then I can, I can offer burnt offerings and it will be okay. It sounds a lot like David understands that God desires to forgive, but it also seems like David recognizes uh, or, or believes that forgiveness isn't enough. You forgive. Take, take away my blood guilt. Take away my guilt and my shame. Help me to, to get past that. And, and the reason is, is because forgiveness doesn't mean forgetfulness. The problem with forgiveness is that you're still guilty. You're still guilty of what you've done. You've been forgiven, but you still did wrong. You still did whatever it was that gave you that guilt to begin with. Isn't it wonderful then that Jesus offers something different? That through Christ, something new happens. Not that we are forgiven, but that we are even more. We are justified in Christ Jesus Paul, in a letter he writes to the church in Rome, explains this. He says this, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Paul's saying, hey, in the beginning, the law was there so that people would know God. But now apart from the law, Jesus has come. And the righteousness of God has been made known through Jesus, to which all of the law and the prophets testify. All of the law and the prophets point to Jesus. And so now, apart from the law, Jesus has come and has made known all that God has desired for us. And so Jesus is what, what Paul is talking about here. The righteousness, this righteousness, Jesus, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is nobody that's good enough. There's nobody that's smart enough. There's nobody that's strong enough to earn this on their own. They have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Paul continues and he says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All are justified, not just forgiven, but justified. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. 
through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We aren't just forgiven. We're justified. When, when we talk about justification, it means that the gift of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection makes it as if we had never sinned. We have been justified by Christ through faith. Not through what we do, not through what we say, but by Christ alone. In Christ alone we find hope and justification. Our sin is gone in the eyes of God. Our sin is as if it never happened in the eyes of God. And, and it's so hard for us to hear that and to, to let that soak in uh, that God's grace is greater than your failures. So what steps, what steps can we take to receive this grace, to, 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 to know that all of this is real? And, and the first is this, trust in God's grace and be assured you are justified in God's sight, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. All you have to do is receive it. And the second is similar. Quit carrying around the baggage of your past and live for God's future. And finally, let your faith in Christ allow you to share His righteousness today. Like David, we know our sins and failures, but God's grace is greater. We have been justified and made new. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard this, that, that your sin can be separated from you in the eyes of God, that you don't have to carry that around anymore, that you don't have to be burdened by it. Maybe that sounds amazing to you. Maybe it sounds too good to be true. The reality is that God says, this is all you have to do to receive my grace is to say yes. Just allow me to give it to you. Allow me to share this with you. And if this is your first time hearing this, or maybe you've come to church forever, but you've never really acted on this, I, I encourage you to open your heart today and allow Jesus to do a work within you. Say yes to God and allow him to offer that grace to you. Uh, allow yourself to receive it so that you might come alive in Jesus. And for all of us, for all of us, think of what would change if we really believed that we have been given forgiveness and justification from our sins. Let's pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for the gift of Jesus, for the hope that you offer to us and, and the life that you promise. Thank you for your love and, and your grace that you remove our sin from us as if it never happened. 
Help us to receive that and help us to live boldly for you. We pray this together in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all of us agreed and said, Amen.